0: Good morning. Well, this uh, this morning we continue our series in Samson. Uh, Samson's desire. Uh, we've been uh, walking through the story of Samson. It takes up a pretty big chunk of Judges, chapters thirteen through sixteen quite a focus on him, and as I've told you, uh, Samson is the last of the Judges, and there is a deterioration in the book of Judges. As you proceed through the events and the Judges, the tribes of Israel increasingly fragment, they 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 move further and further away from the unity and the oneness that they found in the Lord under Joshua when they entered the land. And there was a real sense they were united in the Lord and in his leader. And by the time we get to Samson, Samson acts totally on his own. He is a maverick. He is solely interested in his own life and uh, in a sense then, as I have uh, made abundantly plain through the weeks uh, that we've been together in Samson, Samson really proves to be an anti-hero and I thought Brian's description of Samson was spot on. Well, last time we were together on Samson, we had finished chapter 16, and we kind of focused on Samson's love for Delilah and how he traded his relationship with God for Delilah. And we looked at verses 15, 16, and 17, uh, in great detail and that really provides the background and provided the background through uh, for kind of an emphasis on relationships. Our relationships are made up of uh, three really significant component parts intimacy, commitment, and passion and today we're looking at commitment. And when I think of commitments I think of the two biggest promises in my life. Uh, the first promise Belongs to God, and the second belongs to Shelley. Shelley is—I, I, Shelley and I are married. She's my wife. Uh, but what I've found over the years, as I've walked with the Lord and uh, and uh, walked with Shelley, and they both are approximately the, the same amount of time. I've walked with the Lord uh, a little over forty-one years, and with Shelley a little over forty. And I found that some promises can take you places you never thought you would go in life. And you discover joys you never saw or imagined when you made the promise. Now this is in part because promises, or we could use the word commitments, even good ones, even the best ones are tested. Some promises are short and quickly kept. Some promises are very, very long. And keeping them can be hard because things come up you didn't see or expect when you made the promise. My promise to God set the stage for my promise to Shelley, it shaped that promise. I don't think that promise would have happened. If it weren't for my promise to God. And as I've thought about my life in relation to the subject of promises and commitments, I realized that God factors in. God inspires, God shapes, God sustains, God encourages, God supports, God calls me back to the promises that I make and the convictions and commitments of my life. Just this last uh, June 30th was the 41st anniversary of our first date. That is Shelley and me. And uh, I was on my way to the mountains with Stephen Elliott. Uh, we spent, spent the better part of the week together. A year ago, though, on our f- the 40th anniversary of our date, I actually traveled back to where, we, we, uh, we first, where I took her on our first date. That date, I, when I... Asked Shelly out, I had already had my eye on her for many months. In fact, the first time that I went to the church where where Shelly was a member, she was in the choir, and I saw her, and she just glowed. At least I thought she glowed. She had an aura. She had a presence. And as I watched her, I wasn't a Christian, and I really was kinda like 50-50 on even being there but I saw her she was like the center of everything and I thought if if I were to become a Christian but I won't and if I were to get married but I'm not that would be the girl and when I finally asked her out I had marriage in mind and for the first dates I had marriage in mind and by the way if you're not married and you're thinking about married and you're dating, you need to be thinking about marriage. If you're in the Lord, I mean, you should always be dating with the mentality that this could be the what the the person you know that should be the trajectory. Well, that was my trajectory, and I, as as we went through this process, you know, maybe this was in my mind and heart in a way that at the time it wasn't in Shelley's. But you know, we're talking about important things. I'm seeking counsel, um, counsel from godly people. I'm praying. But three odd things, and I'm not setting this out as a program or pattern for your life, but three odd things helped me to come to that decision where I was going to ask her. And I was backpacking, I'd been on an 85-mile trip, and while I was on that little trip, I would read Proverbs every day. And I was wrestling with a whole bunch of things, issues in my life, and Shelley was one of them. And I came to Proverbs thirteen twelve and it reads this way Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And I and I just sensed that maybe that that was God speaking to me. John, you're never gonna know a desire fulfilled unless you make the decision and commit. This second thing had been in my mind for a little while, and it was, again, a crazy kind of thing. But Kenny Loggins wrote a song, Danny's Song. Some of you may remember it. Danny's Song was written to his brother on the birth of his son, and his son's name was Colin. And there's a, a, these words jumped out at me. It was all over the radio at the time, so I heard them again and again. Love the girl who holds, holds the world in a paper cup. Drink it up. Love her, and she'll bring bring you luck. And if you find she helps your mind better take her home, don't you live alone. Try to earn what lovers own. Well, that was uh, kind of speaking to my heart as well. And then there was this in Joshua 24, 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, and this is interesting because this is kind of the... um, doorstep to judges, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, this is Joshua speaking, we will serve the Lord. And so that was significant in my relationship with Shelly and our courtship to know that she wanted to serve the Lord uh, as much as I did. Because when I came to the Lord, I was reading in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you have your New Testament in front of you, even though maybe you're ready for judges, flip to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, because this has something to say about commitments. Commitments. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, there's a number of ways it can be translated that are all faithful. This is from the New English uh, Translation. Faith is being sure. Uh, some translations, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Or faith is being sure of what we hope for. Being convinced of what we do not see. And then verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who approaches God or comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's an element of faith faith that goes into any promise and commitment. You want to see the end of the road. You want to see the outcome. Because if it's a good outcome, or something positive or encouraging, that can motivate you. It can strengthen you. A lot of times we, you know, we make decisions and promises based on hope. Hope. Just as it says here in Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Whether it's a commitment, a promise, these things are synonyms for the same thing. I'm going to see this through. I'm going to do this. I have hope. I have expectations. I believe this is going to be the outcome. And when we put our faith in God, as he says in, as the writer of Hebrews says in verse 6, if you're going to come to God, you've got to have faith. You can't please him without faith because you have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who come to him. In other words, you've got to believe he's real, you've got to believe that he's got to, going to come through. I've been a jumble of emotions, and uh, this wasn't in my notes, but somebody asked me how my weekend was. You know, there's a part of me that would say it was really a lousy weekend, but I said, you know, it was a good weekend. There's all kinds of people within us, you know what I mean? Uh, Sometimes I get frustrated to be quite candid, Ah, boy, words, so important, you know. But um, I work too much. I don't take my days off. Sometimes it starts to get to me. I want to go for a bike ride, or I want to have time to play golf, or just do what other people do. I need a life. But I love what I do. I love this stuff. I work so hard, but it brings so much good. And so even this morning, I'm in the shower, and I'm thinking, you know, and Shelly's standing there, I, the door's open. You know, we're married, right? So... <laughs> I said, I need a month off. I just got... I just was gone last week, backpacking with Stephen. That's no vacation, i got to tell you. <laughs> He is a joy to be with. The guy's an antelope. I just like watching him climb mountains. <laughs> you know, I can look at my life and I can think, I've been in ministry 40 years. I've never had a sabbatical. And so I said in the shower, I said, I need a month off. And then Shelly tries to help me and then I want you No, know, that's not what I want. I don't know. That's kind of my attitude. And I really, well, just think about it in terms of commitment. Commitment keeps me looking at things positively. If it weren't for commitment, I wouldn't be here this morning. I would say I've had it. I give up. But there is so much joy. And then I begin to think how much I am grateful for. And how, life, how full my life is. And even on my hardest days, there are good things that come because I hold to the line of serving the Lord. In our marriage, we've had really difficult times along the way. But, you know, it depends on how you account. There are way many more joys. Faith. I just want to embed this thought in your mind this morning. Whether I get through the rest of the sermon that is really, there's so much good stuff here, but I just want to impress upon you. I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of it. But when when you believe in the Lord, He energizes you. Yeah, you can mope a bit, but... when you're you're mindful of him, when you're pinging off him, you know, when he's not over the rainbow, but he is your companion, he's close to you, it's almost like you don't want to sulk in his presence. You don't want to, you know, stick that bottom lip out and look him in the eye because you realize that in his hands, walking with him, There's always good things that are going to come if you'll just trust Him and persist and give it all you've got, walking in His strength and trusting in Him. And that's why when I come in here, I'm really, I am okay. I'm in good shape, and I'm excited about what God's going to do. And that's why I didn't just leave you in the lurch You know, there are people that leave you in the lurch. They're not going to stick with you because they live on their whims. And so this morning, I I just, I want to reinforce from the life of Samson, a man who knew no commitment except one. And that was when he told his whole heart to Delilah. Delilah. And when he told his whole heart to Delilah, things that not even we as readers up until that point knew. And we who walked, you know, Sunday by Sunday through the life of Samson, if you were like me, you wondered, does this guy even know the Lord? Even if it weren't for chapter 13 and the commitment of his mother, the fact that the angel of the Lord came to her and told her about. A miraculous pregnancy that she was going to bear a son, that he was going to be a Nazarite. In fact, God was going to begin that vow of dedication, vocation, purpose, and promise with her and her diet and her lifestyle, even before he was born. It was kind of like God was raising up judges, but now he's going to start before this judge is even born. And yet, as we walk through the adult life, the young life, the adult life of of Samson, we wonder, does he even know the Lord? His feelings dominate him, and he makes decisions on whims, on impulse. He acts out of anger, reaction, not act, but react. React. It's like he has no moral compass except his own ego. And when he gets to this point where Delilah, verse 4 of chapter 16 says, he loved her. That's the first time that's revealed to us. And then in verse 15 she says, how can you say, I love you? Samson has been telling Delilah, I love you. And yet, he's already broken promises to her. It's a bad relationship. It shouldn't, he shouldn't even be here at this point in his life. But she says, tell me the secret of your strength. And he says he's going to. And then he leads her astray. He mocks her. He tells her more funny stories that lead to nowhere. And finally she says, quit making a fool of me. Quit mocking me. You say, I love you, but your heart is not with me. Now that's very significant. Your heart is not with me. There's no commitment. And finally, we're told in verse 17 that he told her his whole heart. And we know it because he brings up something we never knew, that he's a Nazarite dedicated. That is, he was dedicated as a Nazarite unto the Lord. And he, of course, as we saw a couple weeks ago, that he thinks his strength is in his hair. But it's really in the Lord. And he commits to her. He commits to her when he tells her his whole heart. And you know he commits to her because he demonstrates faith in Delilah. He puts his faith in Delilah. And then there's that beautiful picture of him laying his head on her lap and her stroking his head as he goes to sleep. He feels completely safe with Delilah. That's commitment. That's promise. Except he doesn't realize that Delilah is not committed to him at all. We need to be promise keepers. Promise keepers, commitment keepers. And the reason that we can keep commitments, keep promises, is because we have relationship with the ultimate promise keeper, commitment keeper, and that is the Lord. A powerful promise The best promises are kept promises, right? The best commitments are commitments that are kept. In fact, if a commitment isn't kept, it's not a commitment. If a promise isn't kept, it's not a promise. And people who keep commitments and keep promises are people of character. And that all goes back to... I I guess I just want to say that the power, the strength, the expectation, the hope, the vision, things seen with the mind and the heart that you can't see with the eye. All those kinds of things that forge character go back to the Lord, the keeper of promises. And powerful people of promise and commitment are people who are committed to God. Far greater commitment to God empowers, has fuel to bring about commitments in our lives. Samson made a weak commitment. He was a man of weak commitment because he was a man that made decisions and choices on feeling. On feeling not on conviction and pledge and as I said when he does make that commitment a commitment that is one in which he discloses gives his heart in which he invests his faith which is impressed upon us by him resting at peace In Delilah's lap, as she strokes his hair, he's given her everything. And, you know, in a way, once again, it's out of his passion for her. It's out of his feeling for her. In fact, we're told, just as in the pattern with his first wife back in chapter 14, that pattern is instructive because it tells us what kind of character Samson has. And she presses him, the Scripture says. Presses him. She persists. We would say she nags him. He is coerced. In fact, it says, to death. In other words, he's just exhausted, he's tired, he's fed up, if you will. But because he loves her, he tells her his whole life, he commits himself completely to her. And it is a very weak, weak promise. But it's a full one. And it's a weak one because he makes it on the basis of feeling. And secondly... He makes it without God. In fact, as I've said, he trades his relationship with God for the love of Delilah. God is a God who calls us to total commitment. That means our relationships, all of life is relationship, it's all about people. If all. Of our life, our relationships, whether it's the way we address or deal with the clerk in a grocery store or someone begging on the street or our children or our grandchildren or our parents or our spouses, our public leaders, if those all don't fall under our commitment to God, we're going to have trouble being people of character and promise and commitment. Because our promises and commitments have to be forged by what we know about God's heart, who gives himself completely to us. I told you that Samson only cries out to God twice. He does that at the end of chapter 15 and at the end of chapter 16. He cries out, calls out to God in chapter 15, 18 when he's dying of thirst. This is basically, help me. You know, God is a genie. In after he's been betrayed by Delilah and his life is on the end, he calls upon the Lord in Chapter 16, verse 28. And this, as I mentioned before, is quite telling because he calls upon the covenant name of God. He cries out, Yahweh. It is Yahweh that we invoke. That central confession of the people of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is no small thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord that is Yahweh, out of reverence, they would, they would call him Lord, not by his personal name, but but it is his personal name that is invoked. It was his personal name that he revealed to Moses when he called Moses to act as his agent and representative in bringing his people out of Egypt, the great redemptive act of, of the Old Testament. We look back to the death, resurrection, the empty tomb, as our great redemptive event. Israel looked back to the Exodus. It was Yahweh who redeemed them. And it was in his, so to speak, personal name, not as pastor, but as John, if you will. You know? Hero, Israel. Yahweh. Is our plural God Yahweh alone and then the next stanza is very important love Yahweh your God actually it's love Yahweh your singular with all your heart soul and strength that's a very straightforward Accurate translation of Deuteronomy 6, 4. And here Samson calls upon Yahweh. Help me. Help me avenge myself upon the Philistines. You see, what I'm trying to make very plain to you, even as Brian said at the outset, I didn't know he was going to say it, but it was so poignant. Samson didn't really have a relationship with God. He just called upon him in the most exigent, isn't that a great word? It just kind of breathes the whole idea of really troubling times. When things are hardest, he calls upon upon the Lord. But the rest of his life, he lives by his feelings. He calls upon a God of commitment, a God of promise, a God who stakes his reputation and his covenant upon his name, Yahweh, but he calls upon this God of covenant only in last resorts. Now, the reason I mention that is because God is a God who calls you and me to total, total commitment, and that's very, very important. Because Jesus calls us to total commitment. Jesus invoked the great commandment, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself, again and again and again. Even his disciples got it. I mean, when you read the Gospel of John, it's there. When you read Peter, it's there. When you read James, it's there. He calls it the royal command, the kingly command. And it's there when we read Paul. Paul says things like this in Romans 13, verse 8. He says, Oh no person anything but love. And in verse 10, Love does no wrong to its neighbor. What's the foundation of that love? It's the great command. Because each time Paul goes on to say, If you do this, You fulfill the whole law. That's something not just for special occasions. That is to be the tenor of our lives. It's to shape our promises and commitments. Our love for God and our love for one another. Jesus calls us to that kind of commitment. He says, follow me. He says, take up your cross. He says, you should... Follow me because even if you gain the whole world, you'll lose your soul. But you'll find it if you follow me. This he can call us to because he reveals the God who is a God of covenant. Not a God of contracts, but a God of covenant, of binding promise. Contracts are conditional. If you do this, I will do that. And God did make his covenant with his initial people a binding, not a binding contract, but a conditional contract. And then he replaced it with his covenant to David. It was a promissory covenant, one which he would never break. And that is the same covenant. Do you know that the word covenant is translated testament? We have two testaments in our Bible. Those are two covenants we have a new covenant under which we live and which we're called to but we don't live by if you will i will we live by conditional unconditional covenant loyal love is the basis of covenant in first samuel chapter 20 if you have a moment turn there very quickly In verse 8, this is a meeting. This records a meeting between Jonathan and David. Saul, Jonathan's father, the king, is seeking David's life. And in verse chapter 20, David and Jonathan, the son of Saul, meet. Notice in verse 8, and we'll just pick up the conversation there. It says, when they were at the great stone that is... uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I went to 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel, verse 8. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. This is the word that is translated steadfast love, loyal love. This is chesed in Hebrew. It is the foundation of covenant. It is Most characteristic of God, that and truth, chesed and emeth, that is loyal love and faithfulness or truth, truth not so much in the sense of I'm right and you're wrong, but truth in the sense of I'm faithful, I'm consistent, I'll be this way all the way, you can know me, you can trust me, I'm predictable because this is who I am, that kind of truth. And here, he says in verse 8, deal kindly or show your hesed, your loyalty, your loyal love to your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. In other words, what they're talking about is he's saying, I'm going to pledge myself to you, you're going to pledge yourself to me out of covenant, of the character of covenant that God makes, the kind of covenant we have with God. Notice verse 14, same expression. He says now, he says, If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. That is the nature of our God's assurance. David and Jonathan can, will have made pledges of trust that have to do with life threatening circumstances, that they will stand by each other even to the death, if you will, because they ground that in the covenant of God. Our commitment to God decides the character of our commitment to others. Commitment to God shapes our character and our treatment of others. Samson is unacquainted with commitment. He, is, he knows only his feelings. And so he always acts out of consideration for what he wants, what he needs, what he thinks best. It's me, my, and mine. His emphasis on his rights above everyone else. This is so important because we see in chapter 15, characteristic of Samson, he says, I've only done to you what you did to me. And Jesus challenges that kind of thinking. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, he says, love your enemies, do good to those who mistreat you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who oppose you. He says, what credit is it to you if you just love those who love you? if you only do good to those who do good to you first, what credit is is it to you? What Jesus is saying is if you want to be my disciple, we're going to have to go against the grain. We're We're going to live life very differently, and I want you to understand this. We're going to love enemies. We're going to bless those who curse us. We're not just going to love those who love us. We're going to love those who don't love us. We're going to give generously, not expecting anything in return. We're going to be fountains of blessing. We're not going to need the blessing of others to prime the pump of blessing within us because we're going to find all the priming we need in God our Father. And that's exactly what he goes on to say in verse 35 of Luke chapter 6. He says, if you love love your enemies, if you do good to those who mistreat you, he says, you will be like your Father in heaven. You will be like the Most High and you will be children of him. You will be his children, and your reward will be great because he is generous. He is merciful to those who don't deserve it. He is good to those who are not good. That is the foundation of Jesus' ministry, and yet the biggest struggle in our lives is to look for the incentive to do Christ-like things in other people. And if it's not there, then we don't do that. And I see this all the time on Facebook, so I see it's a problem. I went to such and such a store and I didn't get the service I expected. And now I am really ticked, and I'm justified. And you know who that sounds like? It sounds like Samson. Has that ever sounded like me? Yes. Has it sounded like you? Yes. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to a different character and a different commitment. And the only way we'll have the power is through a commitment to one who is greater than us who is more lavish and loving and more powerful. And we have to what? Be assured of the things we hope for. And we have to have the conviction of things not seen. We have to believe in things that the world doesn't believe exist. We have to believe in ideals that the world doesn't believe exist. We have to live for things that the world doesn't think can come true. We have to be inspired by things that the world doesn't think will ever exist or can ever exist. There's this guy named David. I met him at the sports club a couple, three months ago. He introduced himself. He was really jolly because then I smelled the alcohol on his breath. But he was really candid. He said, I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Well, I mean, you know, I'm trying to quit, right? I haven't quit, but I'm trying. And he was very nice. And he, he says, I'm going through a horrible divorce, a really vicious divorce. And he says, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to get my life together. We exchanged numbers. I said, I'd like, you know, I'm just thinking maybe he and I could play some racquetball and I could develop a relationship with him. He stood me up three times. Why do I keep going back? Why, you know, why do I invest that time? Because of the Lord. Why am I not ticked? Why am I not upset? Why am I willing you know to give out of limited resources generously because of the Lord? because he's done that for me, and he's done it for you. We got to be promise keepers. I'm going to finish this uh, next sunday and i'll look I'll pull passion somehow into this and we'll we'll talk about passion and commitment because I really wanted to get to talking about our our relationships in terms of commitment in a more specific way, and, and specifically marriages, and, and we'll do that, Lord willing, next Sunday. I hope I've planted some hope in your, in your hearts, because that's really, that's really what I want to do. You know, I want to energize us and maybe inspire us a bit to press on, hopefully, finding energy and strength we don't have in our own humanness, to do things that God has shown to us as individuals and is calling to us, calling us to as his followers, that should make the world stand up and take notice that there are people of a different nature, caliber, and character because of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me? I've run over again, so I'm going to close in prayer. But listen. Listen. I'm going to be up here along with the pastors and uh, elders, deacons, or elders and deacons and their wives who are willing to pray with you. There may be something in your heart and your life that you need to turn over to the Lord, that you need to be assured of in hope, convicted of, even though you can't see it because of your trust in the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it all begins right there. He who loved you first. If you want to pray with us about any of that, we invite you to come this morning. We'll be right down here after I pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray that you will use us in profound ways to be promise keepers as we look to you, the ultimate promise keeper, and trust you, knowing assurance and conviction, because you are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, God bless you.